and was checked. The puck sat there for a moment. Now York is shot. Score! Ken York's first in the natural. And it's 2-1 Philadelphia. This is episode 97 of the Liberty L. Danny Deemer here with Chris Stumpo. As always, how are you, buddy? Dude, we got... I'm doing well. We got a week until the draft. We got a new set of jerseys revealed. When was the last time the Flyers have switched up their home and away jersey? Has that been out on Twitter today by any chance? I actually haven't seen that. That actually would be a pretty cool thing to go back and, and see when was the last time. It has to be before uh, before 2010, obviously, right? So, yeah. like, 2008-ish, maybe? Like, didn't we use... Uh, we were both seven and eight years old, so it's kind of hard to go back <laughs> yeah, and, and remember that. But like probably around that time. So, so somebody who's older and is listening, correct us. But it. Long story short, t- it's been a very long time since we've seen anything remotely close to a a uniform change like this. Obviously, they haven't touched the logo, which they never should. Um, but first impressions, I like them, Danny. Would like a little black trimming on both, but. Oh no! I, I agree. I, I, but I've come to peace with it. Like I'm just accepting it for what it is, and I think it still works. It's still good enough. Like obviously, I, like, I think it just fits to have that black piping in there. Mm-hmm. Like just, just more like, just for OCD purposes. Like I'm just like something's missing here, but it still works, and I still like it, and it feels like a big deal because it is a big deal. I mean, that's a home and away jersey change for a team that doesn't change their branding often. Yeah, and. Yeah, I'm excited for it. The away jersey looks clean. I really wish they did more with the black. Like, I mean, Jesus, they love that 2017 Stadium Series black. Like, they were just... The players yeah. must love it. That, that That's the conclusion I came to today. I was like, the players just must feel different when they wear that. Because they... I don't know. I don't know why they love it so much. I can't stand how big the numbers are with that. Just blocky as fuck. Yeah. yeah. I agree. But, I mean, every time they put them on, I mean, they do play well, so... Maybe you're right. Maybe the players have put on. But I've also kind of bought into this conspiracy theory that, well, I guess not really conspiracy theory. It's just a rumor that obviously we had that stadium series game with the Devils now, and they still need a, a, a jersey to come out for that. So maybe they come out with something similar to the old black jersey, which would be awesome. Oh, my God. If you have an old, like, 90s, early 2000s style Devils jersey yeah. up against the Flyers black from that time, that's amazing. I would love that so much. I think they That'd should. Be I mean, great. I really hope it's true because those are probably my favorite jerseys that they've ever had. I mean, I don't can't really think of a jersey that's come out recently that I've I, I've liked more than those. Theirs are just really nice. Yeah, they're my most recent favorite. But I have to say the the '90s orange. The one Lindros like wore in the finals, that that orange one, that, it's it's just up there for me. That one's iconic to me. I don't know why. And I never even watched them like yeah, play. Like, in those. Yeah, that's like the it's thing. Just, we both like the jerseys that we honestly weren't really sitting here watching, like we are now. We 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 were little back then, and it's funny how we both like jerseys that really weren't from when we've been watching. It's just I was just tired of the traffic cone orange. Like, burnt orange <laughs> is the Flyers. It is. It is. I mean, you go back and watch those 2010 crowds. Mm-hmm. Even, the, like, the T-shirts in the crowd, like the, the Wachovia Center at the time, it was burnt orange out, even though the jerseys were traffic cone orange. Like, it's just our brand. Well, you made a really good point today when I was talking to you. You were like, it's, you can, 
see errors in you can see all the different errors in the jersey. Like they came out with a video of maybe an hour, maybe half hour after they dropped the reveal video of designs that they've kind of gone back to from like the sixty. I mean, um, not the sixties, the, the the late the late sixties, the seventies, even like the eighties and nineties. Obviously, with the with the bird orange, but I mean, it's pretty cool how they've gone back and kind of like nodded their heads to past errors and like the like the the white numbers on the jerseys on the away jerseys oh no on the home jerseys i'm sorry like the, that's a nod back to the the 70s team who had the the white numbers on their on their sleeves i believe so it's it, it, it's really cool how they're kind of doing that and with keith jones talking over the video as well that was pretty cool so i like them that's my first impression obviously the black ones is still to be still to be seen with those but all in all i've been I'm excited, man. Like you said, a new era of, of orange. That's the that's the lo- uh, the, the slogan. So I guess I'll, I'll go with it, even though it's not my favorite. I love the way they encapsulated all the different eras into the design. I love the way they explained it. I think it needed to be done. Like I was of the yeah. mindset, you bring back the the '90s jerseys, just straight rip it, bring it back, modernize it. But after seeing it. I don't know, I've kind of changed my thinking a little bit because if they build a team the right way and this team is good, perennial Stanley Cup playoff team, yeah. and they become a team that 10, 20 years down the line, we look back and be like, remember that Flyers team? That's going to be the jersey they're going to be wearing. And it's going to, it really all depends on what they do from here on the ice because that's, that's all that matters. But I could easily see us going back watching highlights of Gauthier 10, 20 years from now in the playoffs with these jerseys on being like, man, I miss those jer- if we change. Yeah. but See, that's why I love you because you have the optimism just flowing through your body. I mean, as soon <laughs> as we get these new jerseys. I mean, I, I feel you. I'm on the same boat, man. I mean, that's – you can't – as fans like we are, you can't help this, but to think – go that far ahead and and think about winning in these jerseys. I mean, that's the first thing you think of as a, as a true fan that you think of winning in – in any jersey, so for sure. Yeah, like those '90s teams, we love them, but they didn't win. 2010 team, we love them, but they didn't win. It's like yeah. new era is needed, and imagine if they win in those jerseys. I then know. we won't give a fuck about what the jersey is. Exactly. Seriously. They, we won't be fighting over the black trimming. I mean, as I've seen on Twitter today, with a ton of people going, like having yeah. like legitimate fights about it. Too. <laughs> yeah. Like it no, actually matters. I mean, maybe they'll they'll listen. I mean, they have guys in that front office now that obviously will listen to the fans when they need to. So we'll see if they actually do. I mean, we've been pretty sure we saw the leaks like a month ago or a month or two ago, and we were talking about hey, we need to put the black trimming in there, and it hasn't hasn't been done yet. Maybe they'll do it before the actual release comes, before they go on sale. That would be cool, but I doubt it. Um, but either way, who gives a fuck, right? The guy who leaked that was so on the money. On the money. <laughs> like, dude, it's the exact jersey. It's crazy. Who, who he, was he has, that? like, a graphic. I don't know. It's some guy. There, there's a guy on hockey Twitter who is just a master of everything jerseys. Like, yeah. he, he always has these announcements. Like, two, I don't even know his name, and I'm so sorry about that. But two, three months before one of these announcements even come by, he has the leak every mm-hmm. time somehow. I don't know if he works at Fanatics or, like. Maybe. He might. Has a friend that works in a fanatics or something. And he got a shipment, and he's like, whoa, new Flyers jerseys. 
was speaking about looking ahead to, to, to winning in these jerseys. The the first thing I think of with winning with this current I mean, not this current core, but I mean this current core of young players coming up, you automatically think of Tyson Forrester, right? And since our last episode, he was named to the AHL's top prospect team, along with some pretty uh, some pretty notable names. Wallstead uh, was in there. Yurichek was in there. Um, so it, it's pretty impressive to to see a kid on that kind of list because those other guys are going to be NHL players. Obviously, Tyson Forrester is going to be a an NHL player. Whether or not that's a top line guy or a middle six guy, we'll we'll see. But I mean. Seven points in his first eight NHL games last year. He looked, he did not look out of place at all. So I just, you can't help but get excited to watch number, hopefully, 71 Forrester in these new jerseys sniping next year. So it, it is. There are, there are things to get excited about. It's not all doom and gloom over here in Flyers land right now, Danny. I mean, there is aspects of this team of this front office as well that, that I'm personally excited about, man. I mean, we've got this draft coming up, seventh overall. I mean, you can't help just to, to, to be optimistic. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and blame anybody for being optimistic. When I mean, you have these people on Twitter, especially Twitter, who are like, and I get it, nothing's really happened yet. Absolutely. Like, we can do all this talking. Mm-hmm. We can do all this fucking, you can give me all the jerseys that you want. But at the end of the day, it matters about getting these getting the right players in these jerseys and I, I I totally get that but you can't sit here and blame people for for being excited about this about the change in the front office about the new jerseys about the draft coming up it's just I don't see the reason why you have to just be the Grinch when it comes to this kind of stuff because I mean I'm excited you're excited I mean I'm my fucking dad's excited I mean anybody I talk to that I'm trying to get back into the flyers anybody I see at work I'm just like trying to talk them back into it because anytime the Flyers are involved in any kind of discussion. It's just bashing on the team, and that's what it's come to. And this front office recognizes that. Keith Jones is just so honest with us when he knows. Like that's, I mean, he's been on the radio for the last how many years? He understands that. He's been in the media. So it's my main point. You can't. I'm not going to blame anybody for being excited for this. This is just, right now. The, the season might suck. We're not going to be the best team in the world, but right now. I'm I'm feeling good, Danny. I'm looking forward to things. It was always salvageable. There was always something there to be salvaged. It was the people in charge of doing that job. I had no trust in them, and neither did any of the fan base. And that always had to be step one, first domino to fall. All the all the shit we said over the summer, and it finally happened. And now you have a regime in here who, in one trade, in one move, one. have shown you more creativity than the last two regimes. Mm-hmm have shown you more risk than the last two years, more commitment to a direction. Like, even Hextall, who is looked at as the rebuilding guy here, he, he didn't rebuild like this. He didn't commit like this. He middled. He did patchwork as well. And yeah. So just seeing a full commitment to the direction of, we're going to be bad now, but when, we're, when we arrive, we're going to arrive. It's what we've been waiting for. It's what we've been begging for four years and even if we didn't necessarily wanted to admit it to ourselves some years we wanted to squeak in the playoffs with Giroux and Couturier and and win it this had to happen yeah it had to happen eventually it happened too late actually but it's still salvageable I mean look at Frank Savali's list today Uh, we talked about that on text about his trade target list that just came out today and he got about 
six flyers on that list. And I think he has 35 players total on the entire list. And you got Kevin Hayes at three, Travis Konechny at 10, Scott Lawton at 12, Tony D'Angelo at 18, Carter Hart at 24, 36 is Travis Sanheim. So, I mean, if anybody's connected within the Flyers, it's going to be Frank Savarley. And anything that he says regarding this team, I 100% believe. I mean, he's just one of those guys. So, if he has six Flyers on that list and he has two of those guys in the top 10, I think Konechny's number 10. Hayes is gone, for sure. But, I mean, you got Konechny and Lawton pretty high on that list. So, heading into this draft, man. I, I'm ready for anything, man. I, I really am. The only untouchable is Cutter Gauthier. He also mentioned. So everybody else but Cutter up for grabs, which is, I mean, I'm I'm ready for anything, man. Let's let's get the ball rolling. I, I'm, I really do think GMs around the league are just waiting for the draft to get closer before they make in these moves. That's what it feels like, at least, because, I mean, you see nothing right now. We are in the dead space of... The fly, of, of hockey offseason right after the cup is handed out. You got that team celebrating and everything. So just trying to get through these last eight days. We got eight days. Yep. This time next week, we'll be getting ready. So I'm excited for it. Some of the names on this trade target list. How many years have we sat here on this podcast and said, nobody's untouchable. Someone's got to go. Yeah. It has to be done. And that's what I'm seeing out of this regime. Like, there's six names on that list. They might only deal two of them, but it's the fact that you're doing your due diligence and looking in to the other six. They're not untouchable. And that's that's the weird thing about Chuck Fletcher. He acted like so many of these players were must must be extended, must hold on to him. He's a stud. And it, it just wasn't the case. Yeah. And I'm glad to see the uh, this regime kind of recognize and, and be realistic about where they're at in the timeline. And yeah, Konechny's a good player. But let's look at the timeline. Let's look at his asset value. Is it going to improve much more from here? Probably not. It's only going to decline. Like, looking at these things, just something the last regime, at least from my eye, didn't do. I mean, they they might have had these conversations, but their actions spoke louder, and they didn't do it. I mean, if Scott Lawton's apparently getting a a first, what's Travis Konechny getting right now? Right? So, you can't really turn down that trade. And Carter Hart. Yeah. Potentially, there's a lot of options, man, and obviously we don't have any inside information of which one is going to come to fruition. Obviously, Frank Savarley in that blog said that a couple days ago he was, and I'm talking about Briere was close to a a deal with Hayes. So this is just me saying this as a gut feeling. I I feel like that trade is very close, if not the next couple of days within the week at least. I mean, if he came close to a deal almost a day ago, and I get one deal can come close and you might not get a deal or talk about the deal again for another week kind of thing. I get that, but it just feels like inevitable to me, and it feels like it's starting to get to that time where he's going to get shipped. I think it's going to be before the draft, personally. So, if we're already getting these kind of leaks, so, you know... He can't be here. All, all, all the talk they had about subtraction, building the standard, you cannot have Kevin Hayes played no. a season with the Philadelphia Flyers next year. Uh, you got to stick to your guns, stick to your word. Uh, I think it's a change that needs to be made for both parties, and I I hope it happens. Yeah, I mean we'll see. That, I mean that list is is, is kind of eye opening though. If 
I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I know we've heard these rumors, but to actually see it from a guy like Frank is it's pretty refreshing, to be honest, man. I mean, those if, if I had to pick anybody on that list not to trade, it'd probably be like Konechny. But, I mean, if somebody's offering anything worth value for him, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely cashing in on that. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Frank Savarelli is a guy who is definitely plugged in to the Flyers, so he's uh, definitely something to, to put in the back of the back of the mind. Speaking of plugged into the Flyers, Patrick Sharp, yep. John LeClaire are on board. We're just getting the whole gang back together. Everyone who, who wanted a cup in Philly and didn't get one, hop on. Yeah, come back. Let's go. Welcome back to Philadelphia. And I know John LeClaire has actually been living around. I think he's in Havertown. He's been living there for the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, he never left. Yeah, never left. Think. So, welcome back to the city, John. But, yeah, that's exciting. You also got Valerie Co- Camillo, who left suddenly. I mean, that was kind of le- out of left field with the hockey stick. I don't know what happened there. but Yeah, with no explanation. Um, seemed like she was very on board yeah. with the process going forward. Don't know if something happened. Don't want to speculate, but it happened. It did. Uh, but to go back with Sharp and Leclerc, definitely – Pretty exciting hires. I know you're going to get those people who are going to start complaining that they're ex-Flyers and blah, 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 as if Patrick Sharp wasn't traded away when he was, like, 23 and had, like, a fucking 10-year career after. But let's keep complaining that they were ex-Flyers. That, that'll get us somewhere. But uh, him, he's going to be working with the younger players in a developmental thing, so that's pretty cool. And then John LeClaire is going to be working on the kind of more of the business side, so... You said it on text. It's kind of cool to see how Patrick Sharp, knowing that we did trade him a little bit too early, will be working with the younger players in a developmental role. So, Yeah, I really hope this whole thing works out because on the surface, it's all storybook. It's all story. If it works, I can go on for hours. Yeah. Patrick Sharp, we trade him, he comes back. Like, I could just do that for hours. So I, I, There is an element of you're genuinely rooting for these guys to succeed. Um, on top of being optimistic, like I just I'm rooting for them. I, yeah. I hope they I hope that the group that succeeds here. But personally, do you? I mean, looking at the whole, like taking a step back and looking at the front office now as a whole, man, it's kind of coming together now. Like, they're putting the guys that they want around them around them. And uh, this is me asking you directly. We all know that there's a lack of experience, right? Does that worry you at all? I mean, we know Keith Jones has never been in the spot that he's been in. We know Danny Briere is a rookie GM. You got LeClaire. You got Patrick Sharp in their roles. I know Sharp's been around, but he doesn't really have that much experience in a front office type. I mean, in, in a player development kind of role. So, like, what are your thoughts, personally? Uh, it's definitely something. It's definitely a red flag. But I think the biggest piece at the end of the day is Briere. If Bri- if Briere can step up to the plate, that's everything. Yeah. I think I think the rest of the guys aren't going to have too much of a problem filling into their role. Not not to say Briere is going to have a problem filling his role. I just think that's the biggest uh, what if, yeah. if you will. And I mean, early signs point to everything's good. And we took a, they took a gamble on him. I mean, they did. They they think he's going to be the next guru in the National Hockey League. And you know what? I appreciate them taking the chance. I do. Because you could have went out and got another fucking Chuck Fletcher. You could have you could have went out and I don't know got another guy who was just happy to fire loads of Comcast money to do yeah. patchwork. Another I, recycle GM. 
Yeah, the boys club. I used to be someone who joked about hiring former flyers, and I, it's actually something I, in the past, said I wanted the organization to get away from. But this mm-hmm. team strayed so far away from Ed Snyder's course that it, I think it has to happen. And I, I'm not going to be that guy no more. That joke's about it. I think these are the only people who care deep enough to stick through all this bullshit. Like, you look at Keith Jones. He could have just stayed on TV doing Stanley Cup Finals games cushy job great job everyone loves him there's no hate but he threw himself into the fucking fire for a reason you know like that means something that means something to me as a fan and uh i i said before i'm rooting for them but i i do genuinely think they're gonna succeed uh lack of inexperience does worry me but the care is there the work ethic is there the the willingness to learn if they make a mistake they won't be scared to, to double back on it and maybe get rid of that player like just a year later it's all about making the best team best result um i'm here for it it's actually a pretty good point because keith jones kind of seems like the guy that would turn around a year later and kind of own up to a mistake that they made regarding a player or a trade that they made or anything like anything regarding the team and the name philadelphia flyers i feel like he'd be a guy that if he got asked a question that maybe made him a little bit uncomfortable regarding like responsibility that he would own up to own up to it and just be honest with the fans and I mean that's the first step of kind of gaining the fans back is just being honest with us because I feel like just Philadelphia just they're passionate fans who just want honesty and for you to work hard and that's about it if you work hard and you're honest that's I mean if 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 you being honest isn't the nicest thing to say at the moment. I think Philadelphia fans still kind of appreciate it. I mean, look at Alec Bohm, who literally said on the field, fuck this place, and got confronted in the locker room after the game, and he owned up to it. And like The fans were like, okay, I, I respect that. You could have sat there and lied about it and tried to weasel your way out of it, but you owned up to it, and we were... Like, okay, hop right back, Alec, and then look what happened. You know what I mean? Like, we just want honesty, and we want you to work hard. And I, I really feel like Keith Jones is just a perfect fucking fit for that. And he just, a really, John Tortorella, yeah. perfect fit for that. So, I mean, that's my thing. That, it, it, like you said, it, 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 it worries you, absolutely. But at the same time, when I really do think about it, it's going to be a collaborative effort, and I do think each guy in that room is going to hold each other accountable. And like you said, just be honest with the fans and work hard. I mean, honestly, that's all we need. So uh, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. No pushovers. I think it's yeah. just going to be results-oriented. Like, yo, I want the Flyers to win. That's the result. Like, that's the result everyone in that room is looking for, and it doesn't matter if they argue. doesn't matter if they disagree. It doesn't matter if they make a mistake. At the end of the day, they're going to do what I believe is necessary to get that done. Whereas past regimes, there might have been pushovers in the war room. There might have been uh, differing agendas. Torts may have had to tiptoe around the last regime. I don't know, but it it feels more lockstep and together now than it did before. I will say that. Yeah, I mean, and that video that you sent me, Today with Ashley, Ashlyn, I'm sorry, Ashlyn Sullivan's interview with Keith Jones. I mean, that was a little eyebrow raising, eh? I always had a hunch they were thinking that way. Right? It's I always had a hunch because I mean, you can't help yourself. I mean, and that's what I mean with him being honest with us, though. I mean, he might be fucking with, fucking with us, just kind of instill a little bit of hope 
but I mean that's still a pretty yeah. weird thing to say. And if, well, well, I think his viewpoint is if they prove it to me, it is what it is. And I think they've said this before. I'm not entirely sure. Briere might have said it in the interview, but the, the players decided. If they come out this year and they're not gonna, but if they come out this year and like three of those guys break out and Couturier stays healthy the whole year and Konechny also has another 30 goal year, like maybe then they accelerate the course a little bit. I, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope they keep playing the long bit, yeah. game, but the players do decide it in the end. I oh, mean, that's absolutely. how these rebuilds always work. These rebuilds, there's always like, oh, we're going to be bad for four or five years, and then you, you get a good pick, and he pans out, and then a free agent wants to come here, and suddenly, just like that, you're, you're revving up the engines. and like, It never plays out to, to full plan. But it was a little weird that he threw that in there yeah. after after just a press tour of rebuild, rebuild, this year's going to blow, rebuild. <laughs> he throws that out there. But you make a good point, and you're right. Briere has said it before when he said, I mean, he's been asked, how long is this going to take? How many years do you think they're going to be bad? Blah, blah, blah. And he's always come back to the main point of, I'm not going to put a number on it because in the end of the day, the players decide. I mean, like you said, we could have a couple players that break out. We could have a guy that we pick at seven that is a stud. And whoever we pick turns out to be a superstar. I mean, you do not know. And not that us drafting a really, really good player at seven would accelerate us to a Stanley Cup. But, I mean, you could still be bad. It could. Like, it, it but, could, like, though. But That's in, the thing. But in, like, in, in the first couple of years that you draft that guy, you could still be bad and oh, have yeah. that guy developing and then – get other picks and then develop those guys or use those picks to trade for a guy. I mean, it, it, it's like you said, it, it's just so many factors that go into it and you really do not know how it's going to fall. And I really like the fact that like that's the first thing that he's kind of like hammered down into like the fans and the media's heads is, hey, we're doing a rebuild. We're going to do it the right way. But at the same time, if the cards fall the right way, then I'm going to be a little aggressive here. I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive there kind of thing. You know what I mean? So with Keith Jones kind of throwing that in there, I mean, are they going after a really good young player who's like 23, 24 years old that they want to sign to a longer extension? I mean, you don't know. So just just throwing shit out there, Danny. I mean, you look at a scenario where, like I said, everyone's healthy, guys break out. Let's say... I'm not saying Cutter and the seventh overall pick are gonna be superstars, but mm-hmm. they could, and they like that's a big thing. That's important. They could, and down the line, that could be just such a big jolt mm-hmm. to the team. Especially, like imagine a scenario where they're maybe slightly below 500 or 500 this year at full strength, and then we know that those guys are coming. Like that's an uphill climb. That's yeah. something as a fan, I'm tuning in nightly and I'm going, all right, we're not here this year. But we're going to add two guys next year, and this team already wasn't that horrific. And if they touch up the back end, especially, you touch up the back end and Carter Hart starts getting hot if he's here, I mean, I could see a scenario where they're – I'm not talking playoffs or winning in the playoffs, but I could see a scenario where they're not a bottom feeder. Um, Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, they finished 31, 38, and 13 this year with everything essentially not going their way. I mean, young, young players played well. But Sean Couturier out for the year. Cam Atkinson out for the year. Konechny missed like 20 games. It was a rough year. And they still were seven games under 500. So I could easily see a scenario where this feels like an uphill climb. Like I said, I'm not expecting winning next year. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm I'm optim way more optimistic than I was just three months ago. I really am. I mean, I, I, I like you said, I mean, you don't know what Cutter is. I mean, Cutter could still be not going to label him a superstar, but I mean, he he looks like a really promising prospect. I mean, there's a stat that came out today on Twitter from Big Head Hockey, um, Boston College alum who had fewer points than Cutter in their D plus one season. Johnny Gaudreau, Cam Atkinson, Kevin Hayes, Alex Tuck, Matthew Boldy, and Chris Grider. And he also led Team USA as gold as a 19-year-old at the World Championships. So, I mean, not labeling him a superstar by any means, but he's another guy that could accelerate it a little bit. I mean, you don't really know. I mean, is he going to play left wing? Is he going to play center? I personally think he's going to stick at center because he played there all year at BC, and that kind of seems like where the Flyers won him. So... It, whoever we drafted seven. I mean, it fucking Zach and 22. Benson. 22 yeah. as well. I mean, you exactly. know, you just never know in a draft this deep. Zach Benson could follow them at seven, and you don't know who could follow them at 22, or if they use that 22, that 22nd pick and the Florida pick and move up. I mean, you don't know. There's so many factors. There's so many exciting things on the horizon with this team. Really looking forward to coming back and, and talking draft in about a week and a half. And, and, and sitting here and doing that, man. I'm just I'm 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 really excited to get things going. Development camp. Then hopefully training camp comes fast, but what excites me is that's and that is just what's on the way. Yeah. That's what's not already here. And we're big believers in guys like Frost. We think he's got a lot more to give. Mm-hmm. Uh Farabee, I've I've had my gripes with him, but in the end of the day I I know he has more to give and probably will when he has a fully healthy season next year. Tippett, that's a promising season that could be built on, absolutely. We talk about Cates getting some semblance of an offensive game, how big that could be, and then Tyson Forrester. And that's all that's here now and not what's about to come. Cutter Gauthier, the seventh pick, the 22nd break. break. And then then you include 2024, which is going to look like to be a nice little crop for us as well. Like We're going to have two first-round picks. Florida has a ton of injuries. They had a magical run this year. Who knows if they have all the pieces necessary to, to get them back into a position where that pick would be bad for us. Who knows? They might just finish on the bubble. They, they did this year. They just got in. And then just like that, you're looking at, what, a six overall pick and then maybe a 13th, 14th overall pick after Cutter Gauthier, 7-22? and 22? That's where I start to get optimistic. That's top That's 10 I'm, protected, right, that Florida pick? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. So need them to kind of like so have we, a good yeah. season, but not really that exactly. good. But, yeah, man, don't forget about Cam York when you're mentioning that. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, you know, he was in my mind. He was in my mind, just didn't get it out. But he's absolutely a huge, huge part of that. Big believer in him going forward. He's going back to his natural position. Yep. There's no longer a log jam. It's time for Cam York to shine. Like You, you just yeah. take all these things together, and that's why I'm excited. I mean, you mentioned him going back to his natural position and that's something that I mean me and you have sat in this pod the last couple episodes and really been hammering that down hey not top top priority I mean it was in my subconscious because I just really wanted him back there but obviously a trade was going to happen within the defense and getting Sanheim not Sanheim I'm sorry getting Provorov out of here really does set him up to either play top pair I mean, top line minutes or second pair minutes, but I mean, gets him back in the top four on his natural side, like you said, and 
It kids, had to happen. Yeah, kid's 21 years old, 22 years old. I mean, the sky's the limit for him, man. I really do think he could be a a number one defenseman who eats up 27, 28 minutes of a game kind of guy. I mean, he skates so effortlessly, has the elite stick, just thinks the game so well. I mean, I, I really do. I mean, he's starting to get a little bit bigger, being using his body more. And that's something that Torres has really been on him about, apparently. And uh, we kind of saw him do that before he got sent back to the AHL last year when he got a little bit too aggressive against the, the Islanders, I think it was, when he got walked. I think uh, I forget who, who, who walked him, but he got walked and then sent down yeah, to the... He's been walked. Yeah, but, like, it's something that they, they've definitely been in his head about it, but, like, be more aggressive, use your body. Like, you're not that small of a kid, and it is right, and I really do I, see number one potential with that kid. I just think, though, like, when you're a young defenseman, I think you got to take those growing pains on the chin with him. I really oh, do. Yeah. I don't think he should have went down for as long as he did. Um, I kind of... Didn't hurt him. I, no, no, absolutely not. I've kind of, like, compartmentalized it a little bit. Like, I was like, okay, a couple games, whatever. It can't do no harm. But after, like, game 15 or 20 or so, I was like, all right, maybe he should be up here. Because out of all the guys on the defense last year, he's the only one that mattered. He's the only one that was important. Big picture, this is the guy we need him to pan out. The other two, I mean, the writing's on the wall. It really it really was. It was for years. There was smoke behind the Provrov rumors for years. Travis Sanheim, I mean, he's on the trade. He just got signed to an $8 million no-move contract, and he's on the trade bait board right now. But Dude, that goes to um, – not, not to cut you off. I apologize. But it no, just go goes ahead. to show you – I was talking to my dad at work today about this. It, it goes to show you how much – I mean, I've, I think I've said this on this pod before. It goes to show you how bad that fucking move was by Chuck Fletcher. One last fucking middle finger to Philadelphia, dude. And that is just – not the money itself. I mean, I, I personally think on the open market, Travis Sandheim is probably getting more by some team who overvalues him as a guy who can who's 6'4 and can skate, even though he loses a puck every time he enters a fucking offensive zone. Or just, but, yeah, hopelessly throws it yeah. in nowhere every time. But there's definitely a team out there that would 100% hand Travis Sandheim more than $6 million. Six point two, whatever the fuck he makes. But they, it's 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 the no trade that's attached to it for the first four years, and it's the term eight years. I mean, I've said it before on this pod. Eight years is something you hand to Nathan fucking McKinnon, or fucking Austin Matthews, or Bar Barzell, and fuck. Eight years is not what you hand to Travis Sanheim, especially when the Flyers were in the position that they were in last year. I mean, it just it was one last. Didn't what they bridge him twice? Yeah. Didn't they bridge him twice? Like, what the fuck were they doing with Travis? I mean, speaking of bridges, I mean, bridges. Speaking of writing on the wall, I mean, if you bridge a player twice, doesn't that scream, hey, we're kind of iffy about you? And then you go and hand him an eight-year extension when your team is screaming rebuild? I mean, it was just one last nightmare that we had with this guy, man. And I, I, I'm so happy he's gone, and we're back to just... Having a sane person in office, and I don't mean to fucking like go at him, but I mean Jesus Christ, man. I mean Briere has entered the realm, and I got half the fucking team on the trade bait list, man. I it's just it, it's so nice to feel like vindicated, if you will, with this guy, man. Like, I mean, I, the fact of the matter is, and we've been saying it for years, that no one deserves to be off that list. No, I mean no one deserves, and your good teams do this, man. Like you're not safe. You can't just lose here and be handed an 8 by 6 
just for fucking losing. For getting beat up by Nathan Gerby. Like, seriously, man. I mean, that's not the only fucking reason. I just think he's a mint defenseman. But, I mean, this is a guy that should be one of the best defensemen in the NHL with the way he skates and how big he is. And he's just not. And he's 27 years old, and people talk about the guy like he's fucking Morgan Frost's age, as if he's, like, still 23, 24 <laughs> years old. I as mean, if this a guy, breakout's on the way. Yeah, I mean, we know what Travis Sanheim is, man. I mean, he yeah, has... Like, has he's had, declining now. He's old, dude. How many <laughs> full NHL seasons has this guy had under his fucking belt? I mean, we know what this dude is, and I really hope he can find something before this no-trade kicks in. I mean, he's got fucking what? <laughs> 13 days? How long does it And if last? he gets it done, yeah. I think another 11, another 11 days or so. And if he gets it done. Oh my gosh. I, mean, I don't want I don't want to hear anyone talking about oh, well they got to do something. Like you're being optimistic for nothing. Like dude, the last regime the last regime held on to these two guys like they were gold gold like they were gold dude they held on to the entire team like they were gold a team of losers have to say it we said it all the time how many times do we go on this podcast at the end of a season like march april and we're like nobody should be fucking safe with the way that they perform this year there should be some kind of fire lit under their ass like you're not going to get a player who is used to losing every year hand him an eight by six and suddenly he has the will to win it's not going to work like that Nope. And it's like I said, it, it feels good to see a GM come in here and be like, hey, this is fucked. Like, we got to move this guy now. I mean, he's got, like I said, half the fucking team on the trade list. And he's a guy like Frank, like I said before in the pod, locked in at the Flyers. So, I mean, obviously, I don't think every guy on that list is going to get traded, but I mean, a couple. It's a fire under the ass, though, and it yeah. has to happen if you're picking top five, top seven in the draft every year. You can't just feel safe. Especially this draft. I mean, we'll get into the draft in about, let's see, four or five minutes, but um, especially this one. If you're, He's drafting seven, and I think that's part of the reason why maybe Jones said that, to go back on the Keith Jones comment. If you don't know what we're talking about, go on our Twitter. It's on there. Um, he said something with Ashlyn earlier this morning that kind of was eyebrow raising but yeah i'll paraphrase it he basically said listen it's going to be a long process and it might feel a little slow but it could end up being faster than we anticipated basically With a little smirk at the end kind of thing and yeah, which is fair i mean we know is, that oh, like if it yeah but like we knew that like if cutter gochi comes out and he's a fucking superstar yeah that accelerates the plan a little bit absolutely i mean it's just common sense. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, it's it's exciting to, to think about what's what's coming up with the seventh overall pick to go back on this draft coming up. I mean, to, to especially to be drafting where they are. And, obviously, we're going to have these people who are still going to bitch about the wins that we got late in the season and how we don't have the fourth or fifth pick. And I understand. We're not probably not going to get Leo Carlson or a chance to get Mitch Kov or have no doubts we're going to get a really good player who, if not for Kodakochi, probably becomes our best overall prospect. I mean, if it's, say it's David Reinbacher at seven, he automatically becomes our best defensive prospect, obviously. But does he become our best offensive prospect? And I think that says more to Kodakochi than it does, than it says less to Reinbacher because of how good Gochi is, so... It's exciting, man. I'm really excited to eventually get into this draft. 
in a couple minutes, but I really don't think people realize how good of a play that we're about to end up with because of how upset. Or two. This isn't, yeah, two. And this isn't, like, all people. This is some people that I have I've interacted with on Twitter. Um, it's just take a step back and, and, and kind of understand that, hey, yeah, it's not Bedard, it's not Mitchkov, maybe, but we are going to get a player that is going to hopefully be an answer to a lot of fucking problems. So I'm excited. You're yeah, excited. It'd be different if it was all on this guy, but like you said, got another guy in Cutter Gauthier coming, so it just adds yeah. to it. What really excites me about this regime, it, it isn't now. It's when it's go time, when it's time to win. I think when when they ramp it up to 100, it's going to be something to watch. Because for years, me and you have talked about the Phillies got Bryce Harper, the Eagles, they always doing shit, the Sixers, they're going out and doing shit. When are yeah. the Flyers going to get a notable move, a headlining move that makes you go, wow, like they are going for it. And I feel like this regime could bring that to me one day they could bring us that move because they keep stressing when we're ready you'll know when we're ready yeah. you'll know and i really feel like we will know they're gonna make a move i'll be oh, 2025 20, yeah. 2026 they're gonna make a move that that really wakes us up and that's what excites me because it's been so boring for the last decade it's just been boring like that, that's the word i'd use to describe it they haven't committed to losing they haven't yeah. done enough to win it's just been boring we're picking middle of the draft and we're also missing the playoffs it's boring just mediocrity right that's just been the key word within the fan base in the last 10 years i mean since we've honestly really dove into them kind of thing you know what i mean it's it's disappointing but uh there's light danny there's light so hold on for the next what eight days like i said yep Eight days, and that's what makes like a year like this year so watchable, is that there is light. Mm-hmm. There's going to be takeaways from what we see this season, and there was last season too, of course. Like there's going to be takeaways that we can bring in the next season. That's what I was saying earlier. How it's just going to feel like an uphill climb now, instead of just scratching and clawing for an eighth seed and beating mediocre. It it might be like baby step forward, baby step forward, baby step forward, and then yeah. huge leap into winning. Which would be a lot better to track than miss the playoffs, make the playoffs eighth seed, miss the playoffs, miss the pl- make the playoffs eighth seed. A lot better to track that yeah. uphill climb, growing with the team. Yeah, and watching a team grow, man. And another reason why it's 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 better this year to going into it at least with all this front office changes, obviously with Briere's first trade, was that I mean we all, we knew last year that we were going to go into the season and we were going to be bad, but it was different. Because you had a GM that you just had no faith in, like absolutely zero faith. And you knew even though, yeah, we're going to be bad, I have no faith that he's going to turn it around with the asset that he's going to collect from being bad. So now that I have a front office that I genuinely do trust, and I know it's early, the Provorov trade was good, but I still am just, it's just different for me personally because I'm going into this season knowing like, hey, Younger guys will progress and develop because they're going to be given the chance to do so. But I also have confidence in the front office with the assets that they have going into next year's draft and next year's summer. I have confidence in them to make the right moves to get us going in the right direction, whereas I had zero, and I mean like negative, confidence in the the, the last regime to do it. So 
Dude, that, that trade deadline was like watching a car crash. That last trade deadline, watching that unfold, I mean, we knew it months in advance that he was going to fuck that up somehow. We knew it. Somehow, yeah. some way, JVR was going to stay a flyer. We joked about it, but we were we were <laughs> low-key serious. Like, and it was. Like, I can't believe yeah. that. They just sat back and let that happen. The but. last dagger for Chuck Fletcher's career in Philadelphia was was definitely that, man. Then he had the the, the season ticket holder meeting like a couple days after. was just, just like, why is he there? Kind He's of getting, thing. like, tomatoes thrown yeah. at him. Just, uh, but speaking of the draft, and we're going to get into it now. Eight days away, there is a guy named by Derek Dunn who does tremendous work for the Liberty Yell, and we love him. But recently, he's had a change of heart with Ryan Leonard. We've had him top ten. We've had him top seven. We've no, this is him. huge. This yeah. is huge because a lot of national outlets, a lot of Flyers reporters had Leonard as as the dude. Yeah. Like, keep an eye on this guy. The Flyers want this guy. And he's mocked but at I, five in a lot of mocks. Yeah, riser. High riser. Yeah. But Derek, he's had a change of heart. And he and there's a guy named Gabe Perrault. Not Perrault. Thanks, definitely going to be listening. He's going to be laughing about how bad. Hey, listen, listen, that. listen. If he gets drafted by the Capitals, who gives a fuck? You know what I'm saying? We'll worry about that when he's here. <laughs> but Derek is extremely high on Game Pro, and we have him here to to defend himself, if you will. When he's not really defending himself, but to explain himself. So, Derek, welcome. All right, we're in. We can hear me. I'm not at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> you do not sound like you're hanging out with SpongeBob and Patrick. No, you are good. Fantastic, man. So welcome. And you set me up to come right in with the hot take, right? That right Leonard's in. ass and teed you right up. <laughs> he teed you right <laughs> yes. up. Yes. All right. So let me start with. I'm not actually saying Leonard is ass. I'm not saying that the Flyers <laughs> made a grave mistake if they select this kid at seven. Here's what I am saying. Everybody and their mother in national, public, uh, prospect guru world has kind of said that Will Smith and Ryan Leonard have, were the driving forces of that line and that Gabe Perot was just kind of along for the ride. At this point, I highly disagree. I think Gabe Perot was the the offensive catalyst of that line and it's why he led the team in points even over will smith that didn't happen on accident he didn't just pull a kevin hayes and collect mickey points <laughs> no this kid is the most efficient handler of the puck in the draft what do i mean by that i mean when the puck ends on his stick his decision making with that puck best in a draft he will get you the most offense with the least amount of time with a puck on his stick I, i'm going to use a specific play that i feel like encapsulates gabe perot and ironically the whole line on this play was doing harlem globe trotter style shit it's what they do it, yeah it's what they do they're all fucking awesome so this isn't leonard's a bust and he's ass i'm not yeah. saying that but this is nothing against leonard to, yes. to add and the play starts with Leonard, ironically. He uh, tees up this slap pass across the ice over to Perot. Mm -hmm. Perot does a one-timer pass. He one-times a pass 
across the ice through sticks to Will Smith, who taps it in back door for the easiest goal of all time. That goal only happened because Gabe Perot has the presence of mind to know. Ryan Leonard's about to pass him the puck in three seconds. He's already, you can rewind the play, watch Gabe Perot's head. First he goes to Leonard, then he goes to Smith. He's registering all of this in real time before the puck ends on his stick. Then the puck doesn't even have to stay on his stick before he's setting up a goal. It is so eerily like Nikita Kucherov, it's insane. And I don't make that comp lightly. Like, a lot of guys love to say, oh, well, this offensive-only player will help me and win the playoffs because look at Nikita Kucherov. He won three cups. Nikita Kucherov is so unique. He does things that other superstars don't do. He's so unique. I do not make this comp lightly. But the efficiency with which Gabe Perot processes the game of hockey is so eerily like Kucherov. That's my pitch on Perot. Now I'm going to do the why I'm a little bit lower on Leonard because they're kind of interconnected. Yeah, I mean the the thing with Perot is, and I mean you mentioned Kucherov, and obviously you're not calling him Kucherov at this fucking stage of his career. Right. I'm just saying that thing that he does, that yeah. processing speed on the ice, is eerily similar. And I've asked you it, this on like DMs and. Mm-hmm. With Perot, we all know he's not the best skater in the world, right? And for you, you have confidence in the fact that he's just so advanced within uh, processing the the ice and the game speed and in terms of elite hands and passing that the skating honestly won't matter because of those skills, right? Yes. It will limit him, as in he won't be able to pull a Braden point. He won't be able to carry the puck himself but it won't cripple him. Mm-hmm. He will... Me- what Gabe Perot is, is a force amplifier. He makes good players and turns them great. If you put him with a 70-point player, he will turn them into a 90-point player. I think that's what he did with both Will Smith and Ryan Leonard, because if you look at Will Smith, his kid put up more points than Austin Matthews and Jack Hughes not one scout, not one person thinks he's a better prospect than Austin Matthews or Jack Hughes. Why? He had a better draft year. Because Gabe Perot took a great player in Will Smith, and he took him to the next level. That's what Gabe Perot does for everybody. Which kind of brings me to my one concern with Leonard. What we're seeing out of Leonard in this draft year is force-amplified Leonard. It's what Leonard looks like when he has Gabe Perot by his side, just amplifying everything he brings to the table offensively. And it looks good, but what is he like when he doesn't have Gabe Perot? Especially if the Flyers draft him, by the way, because we do not have a corollary. We don't have anybody with this kind of vision. And like the closest we have is Morgan Frost, and Morgan Frost is a fantastic puck carrier. Gabe Perot will never skate like Morgan Frost, but Morgan Frost could never see lanes and see the ice the way Gabe Perot does because very few people can, even fantastic hockey players. Mm-hmm. Do you think he still drops? Because I, I mean, I 
I agree with all of this, but I still think scouts are going to stay away from him because of the skating issues. So I still think that we can be aggressive, especially with that that, that twenty two pick, and potentially move up. Because I mean, I, I as much as I think in a pure skills aspect, because I really don't think the skating is as bad as people make it out to be. I think you could trade up and get him. Like I would take him seventh or or ninth. Or, or, like, in the top 10 based off just pure skill. But I just don't mm-hmm. think he's going to go because of the skating issues. I really do think scouts are going to, I mean, I think I mean he has skating issues and he does not have the biggest frame in the world. So those are just two things that I think make you fall in the scouting world. I think world. so, yeah. And this is my answer. If I'm, let's say I'm GM Danny Briere. Everybody and their mother, with like teams talk, we have a good idea of who's going to pick who if we're in the NHL and we're in those GMs having those conversations. We don't know for sure, but we hear shit around the grapevine, right? If I have the suspicion that the Red Wings might take him at 9 or that the Blues might take him at 10, which I don't think is out of the question at all, but if I have that suspicion, oh, no. I am taking him at 7 and I'm not thinking twice about it. Oh, absolutely. Not because he's, like, premium value at number seven, but because I think the offense is special enough and the ceiling is special enough that I want that lottery ticket on my team, not on the Red Wings. And and I've said it to you. If that's the guy that's number one on your list, go and get him. Yeah. Really. Like, if... This is a draft that we haven't seen in a really long fucking time. And if Gabe Perot, Perot is there at seven yeah. and he's number one, go get him. I don't That's your best fuck. player available. You oh, hell yeah. You and by the, the way, trigger. and I, I guess I should say, I don't – obviously I've made this caveat before. You can still think Ryan Leonard is an amazing player for everything he does. Oh, I still love him. I would still take oh, him yeah. at seven and, and, and cheese as I'm leaving the and podium. It, oh, yeah. it's not. Trust me, I'm not going to have any problems with it. I'm roasting him a bit on Twitter right now because it's fun. <laughs> but in my heart of hearts, I have no problem with Ryan Leonard at seven. I think people have this idea that he is this Matthew Kachuk guy. This, um, Well, I think they un- misunderstand what Matt Kachuk is. Like, Matt Kachuk was a hockey genius and even in his draft year, like, his draft year was the second straight season in which he put up, like, 100 points in his junior league. Like, I don't know. Everybody and their mother knew Matthew Kachuk was a prodigy. He should have went higher than six, but people were insane. <laughs> Honestly, it was about the skating, from what I remember, that, oh, well, Jesse Pugliarvi's six foot four and skates like the wind, so let's ignore that Matt Kachuk puts up all the points You hear this all the time. every year. It's every year, man. It's every year where these dudes who are ridiculously intelligent with skill level that are off the charts drops to whatever degree because we nitpick the skating. And, of course, skating matters in today's game. You don't want a team full of guys who can't skate. But I do think that people nitpick the skating to where it's not as big a deal as people make it out to be. How many superstars in today's game can actually skate like McKinnon? There were like 11 point score, 11 100 point scores in the NHL, and only two of them skated like McKinnon or McDavid. The other nine ranged from horrible skaters to okay skaters to good skaters, but not McKinnon. Yeah, I feel like Jack Hughes would fall like a, a tier like below those two. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. yeah. 
And then you have Jason Robertson, who, you know, looks like he learned how to skate yesterday. <laughs> and will still give you the business at 100 points. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I love Robertson, man. I always I have. mean, a guy we're big on, Tyson Forster. Biggest knock on yeah, him. Yeah, dude. I'm not regretting that pick one bit. I'm very and excited. And it's funny, because Perot does remind me a little bit of Forrester. I mean, Forrester doesn't have this level of vision, but Forrester has a good amount of vision to go with his elite shot that it's like... Oh, I don't know, man. Very. Like, dude, Tyson Forrest is an underrated playmaker. He and that's really something that, is. like, in his, in his eight games with us last year, that was something that, I mean, I knew he had it in him. But oh, I yeah. kind of was, I took a step back and I was like, okay, he's a little bit more dynamic with the puck than I remember him being or thought that he was kind of thing. That you know? touch pass to Provorov? Like, yeah, I knew he that's had vision, yeah, that's something that, that I think put of. Put me on notice, like, wait, hold up, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it, it's interesting because it's like you said, it's not a knock on Leonard. It's just kind of hey, pay attention to Perot, Perot kind of. Yes, thing. especially if you're looking for a purely offensive player. Yeah, and I'm going to use this a little bit to like segue into Reinbacher. If you want Leonard. Because you think he's going to make this huge impact over 200 feet of the ice, and he might not put up star scoring seasons, but he's just going to be an all-around great player, like Sean Couturier, the winger version, have no problem with projecting him to be that. Mm -hmm. Everybody who's projecting him for 90-point seasons might want to double-check their work and realize just how much of a load that Gabe Perot was carrying offensively. Like, Ryan Leonard had 40 fewer points than both of his linemates. 40. How the hell do you even manage that? Did he play with both of them all season? Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> That's I'm assuming, really weird. I'm assuming it, special teams, he never lacks a minute either. Like, he's Is he with them there, there too? Top I think what it with- is, like, if you look into his data, because uh, Elite Prospect, shout out to them, tracks a lot of this stuff. Because he plays with the Harlem Globetrotters, a lot of his like slot passes that most prospects though they turn into assists with ryan leonard it turns into a second pass and a third pass and then it ends up in the net and he doesn't get points that's some of it Mm -hmm. like i don't think he's actually 40 points offensively behind perot and smith but he's definitely no but that is definitely noteworthy yeah i think he's like i think i checked it a couple days i think it's like 32 or something like that yeah like uh, the offensive ceiling isn't what people think think it is which i want to clarify maybe he turns into a star because like prospects can exceed your expectations that's allowed to happen Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen much for the flyers but it's theoretically allowed to happen patrick sharp yet patrick sharp baby that's true patrick sharp is going to change our lives which what then so oh I was just going to, like, quickly, I was going to say, is this that playoff bias that we see every year? Like, whoever has, like, you look at the Panthers having success, Matthew Kachuk. Is that just, oh, let's find the guy who's built the most like Matthew Kachuk and let's just hype him the fuck up. Like, is that what you it's think is going on? It's not hurting him. It's not hurting him at all. I think it is a little bit of that. Like, Leonard was always considered a top ten hopeful. I think Matt Kachuk turned him into a top ten lock and a top five hopeful. I think the Matt Kachuk run took him to another level, which yeah. isn't I always agree. a bad thing. Like, the example I give is that uh, you guys remember that Eric Carlson run with the Senators? He had, like, a broken foot, and he just carried that yeah. team to the cup finals or 
conference finals. Yeah, I forget which ECF. One. That was the McCarr draft year. And with McCarr, all of McCarr's supporters all said the same thing. We can make him Eric Carlson. And they wouldn't have said that a year ago, but they they said it now because of what Carlson just did in that playoff run. It it worked out with McCarr. It turns <laughs> out you should have listened. Yeah. Now, it can work out that way. Maybe Ryan Leonard actually does become Makachuk the same way Kale McCarr actually did become Eric Carlson. That's not always how it works, though. And I feel like this is how you get the draft's biggest misses in hindsight, though. Like, when yeah. you look back years later and you're like, wow, they clearly had an agenda going into that pick. They wanted a certain fit. They wanted mm-hmm. a certain position, a build, yeah. and they didn't go best player available. Because you're trying to pigeonhole kids. Like, you're trying to almost pigeonhole Ryan Leonard into being the next Matt Kachuk, even though the concept's a little weird, as in, like, Matt Kachuk is one of the smartest players in the league. He just happens to be a dick when he's out on the ice, but he's legitimately a genius. He's not the world's yeah. greatest skater. No, Ryan Leonard, it's almost like the opposite. Ryan Leonard can fly. He is notably the best skater on his line. Like, he's a better skater than Smith by a fairly oh, significant sure. margin. I do question the hockey sense a little bit because he was 40 points behind his line mates. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't blame you at all. And it's definitely something to to kind of question when it comes to, to Leonard. But at the same time, I'm still high on him. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I think we're doing our little uh, TLY top 25. What do we yeah. have them around 10, 11? Yeah, like, I think 9, that's 10. That's still mm-hmm. high in this draft. Speaking of drafts, I think before we, we close this up, let's do a quick top 10 mock draft for the, right. for the listeners real quick. So we'll go, we'll go Danny as number one. We'll go Derek number two and then three. So, I mean, I'll read the team, obviously, out to you. And then you're the GM of that team. So, we'll start with Danny, number one, with uh, Chicago. Really hard pick uh, here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty easy one. Connor Bedard. Mitch Cobb might be better, but the Canadian media has made up their mind. He's king. He's King James, the prodigy. So, <laughs> All right, so we got number two, Ducks. Okay, on true talent, I could see Mitch Koff. I could even see Carlson, but I'm not going there. I'm going the conventional route because Adam Fantilli is just too good of a fit on the Ducks. Like, he just makes that whole mix work. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, could you imagine uh, a center court? What is it? They got. They would have Fantilli, McTavish, and then who else? Who, who's the third? Zegers, wow. but you can just, move him to the wing now. Yeah, so I mean that's a kind of a that's a scary young core that you would have right there with Fantilli, and I mean it's kind of an easier pick when it comes to that because you have the question, the quote unquote question marks around Mitch Kov. I mean we'll get into that once we start talking a little bit later into this draft, but you have a safer pick when it comes to Fantilli. You know he can play NHL hockey next year, and he's he might be just as good. We'll see, but. Yeah, almost 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 the safest pick at number two that we've seen since like Eichel. Yeah, and you that think? worked out just yeah. not for the team that drafted him. <laughs> yeah, three Columbus Blue Jackets. I was gonna go Will Smith here, but at the end of the day, I don't think you can pass on Leo Carlson. I think he's too big, he's too skilled, he can skate way too well. I think I've he's heard a, 
arguments that he's the best player in the draft, and I don't hate those arguments at all. No. I mean, you can really make a case for anybody in the top four to be the best player in the draft, whether it's Mitchkov, yep. Carlson, Bedard, or Fantilli. So uh, I, I just There's, don't see them passing four on four number one overall yeah. picks in this draft. And I mean, just, honestly, I was watching Benson last night. I can that you can make an argument five. I mean, that kid yeah, may, is maybe in a week year. Maybe yeah, maybe in a little weaker year. Yeah, that, I mean, that kid is absolutely insane, dude. Uh, if we if we land him, I will be so happy. But Montreal fifth. I'm sorry, not Montreal. San Jose Sharks fourth to Danny. Um, I I want to say Mishkov's gonna drop, but I, I think they get him here. I think yeah. I think this is where Mishkov goes. He's too damn good. He's too like it's just stupid. If you have a yeah. chance to take him and you don't like, get the other yeah. three, I just think it's stupid to not do it, especially for the Sharks. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do in the next year or two? No. Everything I said about Perot is applicable to Mitchkov, but also he is a world class skater on his edges. Like everybody talks about the straight line speed on his edges, he's already Kaprizov. His edge work is nuts. So there's no skating concerns. The no. physicality concerns are total bullshit. It, he is the most talented offensive player in this draft. Purely talent, purely offensive. It, it's insane. It is. It's sickening, honestly. Um, sixth, Derek. I mean, why do I keep doing that? Fifth, <laughs> fifth Montreal to Derek. Oh, this this is interesting, dude, because I, 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 there's two players that pop in my head automatically. Yeah. If I'm Montreal here, uh, I know Grant McCagg loves Dvorsky at this spot, and I don't hate Dvorsky at this spot, to be no. honest with you, but I'm going Reinbacher here just because... Okay, so I'm going to... I don't want to take too long on this, but I want to defend Reinbacher a little bit because everybody's like, oh, oh yeah, he's the ahead. 11th best player in the draft, and we're taking him top five just because, right? That's what everybody thinks. I don't think that. I don't see that. I, He is easily one of the best seven or eight players in this draft. Like, easily. I Number one defenseman is written all over this kid. He was the best defenseman at World Juniors in his draft year. Who the hell does that? He was, and maybe not by the points, but by the way he defended, but by, uh, by all the work he did in transition, he was carrying that Austria team, and he's already playing top four minutes for a playoff team in a men's league as a defenseman, and he's not just doing okay. He's winning those minutes. He's doing phenomenally. If you check his production, like points per get points per game relative to other draft people, he's outpaced Juracek in the Chechnyan league. He's frankly closer to Dalin than he is to Juracek by points per game, and offense is his weakest suit. This kid's a stud, and he's going to be a top pair right-handed defenseman. Those are worth their weight in gold. So I'm taking him as Montreal, and I'm excited as fuck. <laughs> Big time, dude. I mean, the way you talk him up, you should be his fucking agent. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Got me. Yeah, I know, dude. I want him now. But, I mean, that's a good pick for Montreal. I had either that him or Leonard. Uh, Dvorsky's definitely Leonard's an option. But, mm-hmm. yeah, those three, definitely. I have them mocked to, uh, to Montreal as well. So does that leave me with Arizona 
Yeah, leaves you with Zona. Arizona's definitely not going men, uh, Benson because you have like three Benson clones already in Arizona with Cooley, Keller, and Barrett Hayton. So uh, I just don't think that would make any sense. So I'm going to go Ryan Leonard here. I think they go big, powerful winger to pair out with Dylan Gunthier. You uh, a sniper. It. So, I mean, I think that's a perfect fit with Arizona. Because, I mean, I think they go defenseman if Rhinebacker's there. But if that's how the board falls, the board falls, Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Mitchkov, Rhinebacker, I think it's either Leonard. Yeah, Leonard or yeah, Dvorsky. Like, they got enough, uh, you know, danglers and creators and playmakers. That they got those guys. Just get somebody to get them the puck and to score when they get it. And Leonard will excel in that role. He will. And Danny gets the Flyers. Oh, yeah. And Danny gets the Flyers with options, boys. <sighs> Big time options. With options. It's tough. It's tough. I think I'm going Zach Benson. <laughs> yes, dude. I would be so excited. I think I'm yeah, going Zach Benson. It's, it's, you're right, though. There is some names at that point. If uh, Definitely to think about. But... Who are you going back and forth between? Uh, obviously, I was thinking about Smith, but I was also thinking about Dvorsky. Oh. I was thinking about Dvorsky a little bit. Uh, I just have I don't know why I have a, such a soft spot for this guy, but I do. I, I just there's something about if he was a flyer. Dvorsky tape is porn for like a hockey nerd. It, he, he does so many little things so well that I'd need like a whole podcast to just nerd out about all of it. Yeah, he no, he really is impressive. I mean, he's what the youngest player in this in this draft, and he's playing with grown men and doesn't look out of place. I mean, people harp so much on the fact that he doesn't he's not putting up Bedard numbers in a grown men's league as a seventeen year old, which is like just asinine. It's just it's insane <laughs> to, to 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 fucking scream about. I mean, like especially because he's doing it everywhere else. Like, yeah. you put him up against his age group, and he's going ham. Yeah, like the U18s that we just saw. He was what like, the top three leading scorer in that entire tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, interesting top seven. Hopefully, the board lands this way. We're about an hour and ten minutes into this, so we're gonna wrap it up. All Episode right. ninety-seven, Danny. It was a great one. And in a week from now, we're about to have the future of the franchise. Maybe two. Yes. Oh, Maybe man. two. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Before we go, real quick. Before Danny wraps it up, real quick. Derek, do they make that 22nd pick? I'm going to ask both of you. Yes or no? I'm leaning yes. They don't trade it. I think, I think it'll be hard to find. Let me put it this way. There's 22 kids in this draft, at least, that I really, really want. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be hard to find that kid that falls that you also get a team to agree to let you trade up for him. I think it's going to be hard to find that match. Yeah, I agree. I said that to so many people. I mean, this draft is just so deep. It's going to take a lot to move up multiple spots. And if you're talking one or two spots, you can work that out with a team potentially. But if we're talking like five, six spots, I I think that's just I, – I don't think teams will be able to afford it or want to be able to afford it kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Danny? I think we're using the pick. Um, I think we're using the pick. I think it's a great spot to be in. I, I yeah. think it might not be the case in other drafts, but the, the, if you look at the board, 22, even if everything plays out perfectly, whereas best talent is just going to get ripped down from 1 to 21, I still feel like at 22 you're coming away with a guy who you're pleased with instead of paying that price. 
And I think this regime doesn't want to pay that price either. I think they're just in, no. I think they like the position they're in. I think they were really happy to get that 22 actually because I think they recognize that as well. Um, I think they make the pick. All right, I do as well. I mean, I, I I would love for them to package it up and potentially move up, but at the end of the day, I think you just stay pat, stand pat, let whoever fall to you fall to you who you love. I mean, they apparently they like Gavin Brindley. They talk to him. So uh, there's a lot of interesting names that could potentially be there at 22. So I'm excited, man. Derek, I appreciate you coming on and talking a little draft. We're definitely going to have you on next week. I appreciate being on and being sounding like a human. Thank you. Yeah, you don't sound <laughs> like you're underwater. Absolutely. So definitely get you back on probably within the week because this draft is quickly approaching, boys. Hell yeah, man. It's going to be real fun. Heating up, got the new jerseys. Whoever gets drafted, it's going to put on the new jersey. It's going to be a fun night for sure. Do you want to make the – I'm sorry. I apologize. Do you want to make the the 4K announcement real quick right before we end it? Uh, No, let's save that one. It's kind of a big one. It is a big one. So I want to hold that one. Uh, This was a great episode 97, though. Episode 98 should be a draft special, if you will. Derek will return. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on all socials at the Liberty Yell. Follow me at TLY Danny. Follow Chris at Chris Stumps. And follow Derek at Suitable Alias. Go floor.